Hello and welcome to edition number 1931 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 22nd of September 2022. I'm Bridget Walton and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Rob Oxpring. This week we have items, some about the funeral of our Queen and some about more local events. Our four readers are Marnie Leach, Byron Russell, Barbara Barringer and Gavin Smalley. So let's have our first story, which is the editorial from this week's Whitney Gazette. Being here for this time is something we will never forget. Many people gathered across Whitney to commemorate the Queen and pay their respects to the longest ruling monarch in history. People have been paying tributes, including leaving flowers at St Mary's. Books of condolence are available at locations across the district and will be preserved in the local archives. West Oxfordshire District Council suspended meetings and flags were lowered to half-mast at all council buildings out of respect. Bells tolled to mark the Queen's passing. A civic service was held at St Mary's to celebrate the Queen's life. Then there were proclamation ceremonies formally announcing the new King Charles III in Whitney's Market Square as well as towns throughout Oxfordshire. On the evening before the Queen's funeral, Duncan Enright, deputy leader of the council, attended a thanksgiving service at Oxford's Christchurch Cathedral to represent our district. Meanwhile, people have flocked to the gates of all the royal residences across the nation to lay flowers. Hundreds of thousands went to stand in a queue to witness the Queen lying in state and to reflect on, in many cases, the only sovereign they have ever known. At times like this, people like to gather with others to share this unique time together. People could mourn together, share stories and sympathise together. There are many RAF veterans living in and around Whitney, some living alone, who have regarded the Queen as their boss. In one pub, which stayed open for the state funeral on Monday, spontaneous cheers and renditions of the national anthem went through the crowd, and people remembered a head of state for whom they felt nothing but respect. Many also shed a tear as they watched King Charles III give his first address to the nation as monarch. He will not reign in the same way as his mother. It is 2022, not 1952. But as one fan tweeted, Well done today, mate. You had the eyes of the world upon you and made your mum proud. There's every reason to believe everything will work out just fine. You've just heard Marnie reading, and now Byron will tell us about a special way the Queen's funeral was made memorable locally. Indeed, and the headline is State Funeral Events Unfold, as a pub in the heart of Whitney opened its doors for mourners to watch the Queen's funeral. The elm tree in West End said it was an emotional morning, but lovely. The pub said on its Facebook page it would be broadcasting the state funeral on all its screens. Mick Williams, who served 22 years in the army and has met the Queen and shaken her hand, arrived in a smart suit and tie and wore his medals and a poppy. As the funeral started, families and regulars watched the broadcast over drinks and food which they had brought in. At 11.55am, those in the pub observed the two-minute silence, with some customers standing out of respect. Landlord Patrick Patch Kinsella said he was possibly one of the only pubs to open because he thought it was important that pubs at the heart of the community 
offered a place for people to come together to mark the occasion. He said, When times are hard, you go to the pub. We are a traditional pub, and it's a time of mourning, and I think it's a time to bring people together, especially after everything we've been through in the past couple of years. People were crying. It was just a lovely atmosphere. Mick shed a tear and I gave him a pat on the back. We've had lots of old boys in, but the youngest we had in was 13 years old and we also had a baby. I don't have much family and I find it very nice to have everyone come in here. Sometimes, if you're emotional, it can be nice to share your feelings with other people. Last week, Mr Kinsella also showed the first speech made by the new King Charles III after the death of his mother. It was another emotional moment when they held a moment's silence for the Queen and raised a glass to the new King. Mr Kinsella said, I'm not a royalist as such, it's just being patriotic. Once the funeral finished, I got a Best of British playlist on the jukebox and we're going to have a knees up. Barbara is going to read about a local event which is deservedly becoming a local tradition. Yes, that's right. Organisers get set for Mega Pink Day. It's a week earlier than normal this year, but organisers are gearing up for a Mega Whitney in Pink Day. As always, the town will be decked out in hundreds of pink biodegradable balloons for this popular community day, now in its 22nd year which raises funds for the vital research of the Abingdon-based charity Against Breast Cancer, that's ABC, to improve detection, treatment and increase survival from breast cancer. In total, over the years, the tireless ABC Whitney fundraising team has raised more than £250,000. Pink Day brings the community together, in a very special way. It's simply wonderful, said Jean Chateau from Whitney, chair of the team. It is a magical feel-good event. The support every year is tremendous and unwavering. And it's raised awareness too, helping an awful lot of people to talk about breast cancer and reach out for help and support. The organisers are lining up a fun-filled day from 10am till 4pm in the town centre. Whitney Whitney MP Robert Courts will perform the official opening at 10am and Town Mayor Liz Duncan will be there too. There will be a grand tombola and cake stall, a street collection and a packed programme of street entertainment including WOAPA Choir, Whitney Rock Choir, Whitney Town Band, Horns of Plenty, Street Band, Bugs Ukuleles, Singer Sarah Jane Grey and more. And once again, a cavalcade of pink cars will parade through the town and then park up on Church Green for viewing. The use of sum-up card reader machines will mean that supporters don't have to solely donate cash on the day. Six of the machines have been sponsored and donated by Carterton Company OQEMA Limited. Packs of pink balloons have been distributed to Whitney shops and businesses to decorate their windows and some of them are holding their own fundraising events. Pink cocktails and cakes are being lined up at the Chequers Brasserie in Corn Street and the staff will be dressed in pink. The town crier, Jean Postlethwaite-Dixon, who is also a member of ABC Whitney, has gathered a whole bunch of fantastic prizes for the tombola donated by the town's business people. Gavin has an item about something which seems more divisive. I do. Pub popular with former PM risks neighbour's wrath. A pub popular with David Cameron angered a neighbour with a a live music event that caused a loud, heavy and disturbing bass thump. A neighbour complained of being disturbed by live music at the Bull Inn in Charlbury and asked whether the pub had a licence for it. That led to a heated debate on a community notice board. One resident said... 
there were only three instruments, a cello, a violin and a guitar, so I can't understand the heavy bass thump. Another reacted that in 1995, Char- Charbury had a greatly respected music venue, the Hot House, which put Charbury on the music map. Just as our beloved Charbury Riverside Festival, which started around that time, has done. They argue that the Rose and Crown, and to a lesser extent the Bull and the Bell, also put on live music. There are also the Memorial Hall and the Shed. All I am trying to illustrate is that Charbury is a lively and vibrant town, the Post said. Another post ridiculed the idea of a Charlbury noise limitation group to maintain the character of Charlbury as a tranquil com- country community. Charlbury councillor Liz Lefman, leader of the county council, became involved explaining the bull did not previously have a licence for amplified music, so they responsibly cancelled the planned event, applied for a TEN, a temporary events notice, and have now put on an event using amplified music, which they are absolutely entitled to do. Negligent police officer caused crash, court filings claim. A driver was clipped by a negligent police officer trying to overtake. Gloucestershire Constabulary Officer Patrick Davis was driving his 2017 plate vehicle on the A429 near Stowe-on-the-Wold in March 2021 when he pulled out from behind Chipping Norton man Michael McCulloch to overtake, court filings alleged. The police car was not on blue lights or sirens. Before it could get past the first vehicle, Mr Davis was said to have moved back into the lane as another vehicle was coming in the other direction. The service vehicle, a a Vauxhall Astra, struck Mr McCulloch's Mercedes GLC. Court papers filed by Mr McCulloch's lawyers claimed the police officer was negligent by failing to keep proper lookout. The officer failed to drive and or control their vehicle with appropriate care and skill, causing the impact. He overtook when it was unsafe, the lawyer said. The Mercedes driver issued a claim against the Chief Constable of Gloucestershire Constabulary for £4,200 in damages. That was comprised of a bill for more than £1,000 to repair the car and almost 3200 to hire another vehicle. The case was due to be heard at Oxford County Court last week. However, the matter was pulled out of the list at the last minute after it was settled out of court. Gloucestershire Constabulary was approached for comment. And now rather a disturbing story. The headline is Teaching Assistant had child sex abuse images. A former teaching assistant was arrested at his then school after authorities in the US linked a kick account in his name to child sex abuse images. Non-profit, the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children, contacted UK police as a user on the social media site was believed to have shared indecent images of children in August 2019. The Kick account was linked to the address at Benjamin Pooley's then home in Whitney and the account set up with his email address and phone number. Oxford Crown Court heard police officers executed a warrant at the 28-year-old's home on March the 4th last year. However, Mr Pooley had moved out of the address four weeks earlier. He was addressed, arrested at his place of work which was a school in Whitney, Prosecutor James Watkin said. Pooley was interviewed by the police on two occasions. He denied association with the kick account or that he had downloaded illegal images of children. That was unmasked as a lie when two devices, an iPhone found on him at the school and a computer seized from his home in Stanton Harcourt, were analysed by police specialists. 
there was evidence of Google searches for extreme pornography. Sentencing him to eight months imprisonment, suspended for two years, Judge Michael Gledhill QC told Pooley, The children in those images that you were looking at for your own sexual gratification were being abused by others, and but for the likes of you paying for those images, they would be unlikely to be abused. Mitigating, Diane Bilan said her client had no previous convictions, was now working in a laboratory to support his wife and baby, and had undertaken therapy to understand why he had looked at the indecent material. He expressed his remorse in his probation interview and continues to do so, so through me today, she added. Pooley, now of London, pleaded guilty at the magistrate's court to possession of indecent images and prohibited images of children. Judge Gledhill ordered Pooley to do 100 hours of unpaid work, up to 40 rehabilitation sessions with the probation service, and pay £425 in costs. My headline is Charity Collector Accused of Stealing an Antique Firearm. A Battersea Dogs Home charity fundraiser is accused of pocketing an antique pistol worth £650. Darnell McHale, 25, is said by the prosecutors to have stolen the historic firearm after being invited into his alleged victim's home in Moore Avenue, Whitney, on August the 18th. Having knocked at his front door to collect money, for the London-based animal shelter. Prosecutor Jay Singh, appearing for the Crown Prosecution Service, told the magistrates that the 87-year-old victim had allegedly discovered the pistol was missing when the younger man left. Appearing before Oxford Magistrates Court, McHale of Birmingham Road, West Bromwich, pleaded not guilty to a single count of dwelling house burglary. He was bailed to attend the Crown Court on October the 6th for a plea and trial preparation hearing. Godana Austin represented the defendant during the short allocation hearing. His bail conditions include requirements that he live and sleep at an address in West Bromwich, sign on daily at his local police station and ban him from entering the town of Whitney. Pitches blow for footballing girls. Women's football has soared to its highest level of popularity for a century, but hundreds of Whitney girls have been brought back down to earth with a bump by the loss of their pitches. Whitney Vikings says it has, develop, it is develop, has been developing female-only teams for six years, and since the Lionesses won the Euros, interest has been rocketing. But now Whitney Town Council has told the club that the ground at the Lees, where the girls' team play, cannot be used because the soil is compacted and needs repairs. It cannot find another base and says the teams will fall apart. Chair of Whitney Vikings, Steve Bott, said, Whitney Vikings has 36 teams. That's 500 kids, of which 200 are girls. We have the largest group of girls-only football teams in Oxfordshire. Since the Lionesses' Euro of Triumph, my phone has been ringing off the hook. All our girls' teams play at the Lees. Whitney Feast is there now. If you go there today, it's full of juggernauts and fairground rides. Usually they remarket as soon as possible and we get to play on it from October until the end of April. Now they're saying it's unavailable until the end of the year. The girls have nowhere to play or train. But suddenly, take, by suddenly taking away four mini-pitches at the Lees, nine teams, or 45 boys and 90 girls, have no home pitch. That's 135 kids that we have to say, sorry, you can't play football. He added, they blame us and say we've compacted the soil by playing over the summer. Bunkum, it's just a few kids on a summer's evening. The town council are wrecking the Lees with Whitney Feast and should make it available as soon as possible. Football coaches are also concerned the town council said the same thing when men's football was kicked off an adjoining pitch a few years ago. Mr Bott said 
Half used to be a football pitch for many, many years, but a few years ago they decided they did not want to keep maintaining it. And he said a cricket pitch, which was used by Whitney Swifts for years and years, met a similar fate. However, Mr. Bott said the wider issue was the lack of pitches in the town. There are a lot of amateur football teams. There are two or three playing every Saturday. They now have to find grounds out in the villages, or fold completely. He said. In response, Whitney Town Council said it already accommodated fifty-one football teams, but demand had increased by twenty-five percent this season. It added, "Our officers work hard." To make as many pitches available as possible, with the resources we have at our disposal, many are already overused, and this can result in long-term damage. It said one side of the lees was decommissioned for football three years ago, following a report by Sports Turf Consultants, which was shown to teams. The town council carried out expensive. And vital remedial work at the end of every season, it added, and asked teams not to use them for training. Football on the lees has coexisted successfully with the fair for hundreds of years, the council said. West Oxfordshire District Council was asked to comment. And now, skateboard fans demand upgrade. Skaters could finally get the skate park they are demanding after a protest by about fifty enthusiasts. Since the Whitney Skate Park opened on the Lees in the early two thousands, users have complained about a lack of equipment on which to test their skills. The all concrete park, which features a mini ramp, flat bank, quarter pipe, and fun box, is showing severe signs of age, with cracks and holes tripping up skaters. Bladers, scooters, and BMX riders, and causing falls. A skate jam was staged to raise awareness of the need for investment, especially after the splash park and tennis courts have、uh, been upgraded and the mini golf has been improved twice. Skateboarder Corey Compton, the longest-serving user of the skate park, said, "It's been promised a couple of times over the past ten years, but nothing's come of it." And it badly needs upgrading. Mr. Compton said the skaters were having to practice on the steps, rails, and pavements in Oxford, Cirencester, and even London. Mr. Compton, a joiner who once had aspirations to be a professional skater, said the protest was attended by fifty skaters over the course of the day, plus friends and relatives. He said, "Don't they know it's an Olympic sport now?" There are kids here who could be aspiring to that. Tom Penny, the best professional skateboarder in the world, comes from Oxford. Whitney Town Council said it was quite surprised to hear about the protest, but the council is delighted that the level of interest exists and would be very happy to have some volunteers from the group engage with the council as the project progresses. It already plans to undertake a condition survey of skate parks, MUGAs, and other youth provision, then prepare and adopt a planned improvement and upgrade plan. A spokesman said, "The town council has already set a budget of a hundred thousand pounds towards the regeneration of the skate park, and is looking for sponsorship and grants to supplement this." The council says it ran a survey to establish what skateboarders, scooter users, and other wheeled sports participants wanted. It ran a separate survey to discover whether girls used the skate park and other areas. The spokesperson added, "Councillors and officers worked hard on establishing a relationship with the skateboard community, and offered advice on raising the group's profile." And wrote sponsorship letters for them. Unfortunately, there were too few available volunteers from the skate community at the time to follow up 
on much of the work done and community engagement and need are two of the elements that grant funders expect to see in applications. The huge support from the community and the dedicated team of successful community fundraisers was the main reason behind obtaining much funding for the Liven Up the Lees group that worked hard to get the splash park and adventure play installed at the Lees. The tennis courts are run by Premier Tennis and it is they that have made the improvements to the tennis courts and the mini golf. Here are the quiz questions and answers for last week. As you would expect, they are heavily related to Queen Elizabeth II. 1. What was the surname of the Queen Mother before she married? Bowes Lyon. And the answer is indeed Bowes Lyon. 2. Charles III will be the oldest heir to be crowned monarch. How old is he? 73. Indeed he is 73. How old was Elizabeth II when she became Queen? 25, wasn't she? She was indeed 25. And four, how old was Elizabeth I when she became Queen? Before my time, I'm afraid. (laughs) Nobody will remember, but it was indeed 25. Oh, really? (laughs) And question five. Margaret Thatcher was Queen Elizabeth's first female Prime Minister. How long did she hold the office? A long time. No, the answer is 11 years, from 1979 to 1990. And this week's questions will feature a little later on. We don't have a reflection this week. And so um, I'm just going to remind you that there are other ways to listen and that if you keep on listening after we finish the Whitney Talking News, you'll be able to hear the listings for the broadcast programmes. There aren't any birthdays either for us to wish happy returns to people. But we have had a nice letter and a booklet from Chipping Norton listener Dr Sheila Parker. She suggests we should give a shout-out to FarmEd which promotes regenerative and agroecological farming systems. FarmEd is situated on Station Road, between Shipton under Witchwood and Chipping Norton. There is an article in September's Chippy News, and it says that on the 5th of October, there is an introduction to care farming, which is about using farming to support individuals with education, health or social care issues through purposeful work and outdoor activities and social interactions. You may be more interested in their cafe, and they recommend phoning if you want to go to the cafe on 01993 402 403. Sometimes it's closed because they've got events going on. Thank you, Sheila, for suggesting that to us. And now I'm going to read the deaths that have been published in this week's Whitney Gazette. On the 1st of September, Basil Fry, aged 87. On the 11th, John Garrison, aged 76. And David Crawford Brandmain, aged 85. And June Margaret Nash, aged 88. And on the 12th of September, Mary Joseph Wilson known as Joe, no age is given. We offer our condolences to family and friends. And now, the sport. City Loney becomes an instant hero. Oliver Sanderson scored on debut as Oxford City edged out Salisbury in the Emirates FA Cup. The 18-year-old striker went straight into the starting 11 after his lone move from Fulham was announced before kickoff. Elsewhere, North Lee fell victim to a second-half comeback as Plymouth Parkway reached the third qualifying round. Goals from Luke Carnell and Roger James put the Millers in charge at the break but Billy Palfrey pulled one back 
10 minutes after the restart. Jared Lewington made it 2-2 and both sides had chances to win it, only for Parkway to snatch victory late on. And now on to women's hockey. Lambs look to make their mark against top teams. Whitney ladies first hope that they can spring a few surprises when they take on an array of international talent in their first season in England's second tier. The Lambs begin their Vitality Women's Hockey League Division I South campaign at Isca and Exeter University. The Devon side provides a taste of things to come for Whitney, with England internationals Martha Taylor and Ella Burnley in their squad. But head coach Chris Boyle is confident his charges can ruffle a few feathers with their intense style of hockey that has brought them a remarkable four promotions in six seasons. We press and press and press, he said. The first game of the season, away to Iska, who have got an array of senior and junior internationals, is exciting stuff. Some of the teams we're playing will have players who have played for their country, and that will be exciting for our players to play against. Boyle stressed that teamwork is key for Whitney, but earmarked the defender Ellie Norton and forward Abby Florey as two players to watch. Ellie Norton holds that middle of the pitch. She is strong in the tackle. She's got great distribution, he said. Abby will cause problems because she frightens them. When she runs with the ball, she frightens players. She'll frighten anybody with the ball. The head coach is equally keen to see more people taking in the action at Wood Green School. Whitney's first home game is against Wimbledon 2s on Saturday, October the 1st, with pushback at 12.30pm. He said, The crowds have been getting bigger at Wood Green. We've got coffee and tea on site from Humble Bumble Cafe, and it's a good place. There were 69 under 10s at training the other night. That's a huge number. A lot of the first team train the kids, so they get to see people that they can aspire to be. The editor's contribution this week is some royalty-related poems. I don't think there's anything to offend Republicans or Royalists. They're not meant flippantly, but are not to be taken too seriously. I hope you will be able to channel your inner child and enjoy these verses from When We Were Very Young by A.A. Milne. The poems you will hear have all been parodied by Christopher Matthew in a book called Now We Are Sixty, published in 1999. I've had it quite a while. Apart from being irritated because the originals are wrongly ascribed to Milne's second book, Now We Are Six, I don't like the tone of the more recent poems. The child in Milne's poems has a nanny but is not snobby, whereas the adult in Matthew's book is... He refers to an ugly lowbrow and louts, besides using some mildly bad language. The innocence and charm of A.A. Milne have vanished. I am only using one of the poems from Now We Are Sixty, but first I will read If I Were King from When We Were Very Young, and that will be followed by the adult version read by Barbara. I often wish I were a king, and then I could do anything. If I were only king of Spain, I'd take my hat off in the rain. If only I were king of France, I wouldn't brush my hair for aunts. I think if I were king of Greece, I'd push things off the mantelpiece. If I were king of Norway, I'd ask an elephant, I'd leave my button gloves undone. If I were king of Timbuktu, I'd think of lovely things to do. If I were king of anything, I'd tell the soldiers, I'm the king. I often wish that I were rich, then life would go without a hitch. If only I were that Bill Gates, I'd talk with kings and be their mates. If I were Cameron Mackintosh, my plays would make me huge piles of dosh. Just think, if I were Melvin Bragg, my face would be in every mag. If I were Mr Richard Branson, without the beard, I'd be quite handsome. I bet if I were John Paul Getty, 
I'd dish out money like confetti. If I was Sultan of Brunei, I'd sell my place and buy verse one hitch. I'm poor as hell and life's a bitch. Now just relax and listen to two of my favourites, which I think King Charles III might like. Changing the guard at Buckingham Palace, Christopher Robin went down with Alice. Alice is marrying one of the guard. A soldier's life is terrible hard, says Alice. They're changing the guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. We saw a guard in a sentry box. One of the sergeants looks after their socks, says Alice. They're changing the guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. We're looking for the king, but he never came. Well, God take care of him all the same, says Alice. They're changing the guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. They've great big parties inside the grounds. I wouldn't be king for a hundred pounds, says Alice. They're changing the guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. A face looked out, but it wasn't the king's. He's much too busy assigning things, says Alice. They're changing the guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. Do you think the king knows all about me? Sure to, dear, but it's time for tea, says Alice. The King's Breakfast The king asked the queen, and the queen asked the dairymaid. Could we have some butter for the royal slice of bread? The queen asked the dairymaid. The dairymaid said, Certainly, I'll go and tell the cow, now, before she goes to bed. The dairymaid she curtsied and went and told the alderney, Don't forget the butter for the royal slice of bread. The alderney said sleepily, You'd better tell his majesty that many people nowadays like marmalade instead. The dairymaid said, Fancy. And went to her majesty, she curtsied to the queen. And she turned a little red. Excuse me, Your Majesty, for taking of the liberty, but marmalade is tasty if it's very thickly spread. The Queen said, Oh, and went to His Majesty. Talking of the butter for the royal slice of bread, many people think that marmalade is nicer. Would you like to try a little marmalade instead? The King said, Bother. And then he said, Oh, dearie me. The king sobbed, oh dearie me, and went back to bed. Nobody, he whimpered, could call me a fussy man. I only want a little little butter. I only want a little bit of butter for my bread. The queen said, there, there, and went to the dairymaid. The dairymaid said, there, there, and went to the shed. The cow said, there, there, I didn't really mean it. He has milk for his porringer and butter for his bread. The Queen took the butter and brought it to His Majesty. The King said, Butter, eh? And bounced out of bed. Nobody, he said as he kissed her tenderly. Nobody, he said as he slid down the banisters. Nobody, my darling, could call me a fussy man. But I do like a bit of butter to my bread. And now, here are the quiz questions for the 22nd of September. You may be expecting questions with answers like Tigger and Eeyore, but that is not the theme, which is farms. Question number one. Which radio programme features Brookfield Farm? Number two. In the children's game, what does the farmer want in his den? Number three, which of these is the postcode area for Chalk Farm? Is it A, S, E, B, S, W, or C, N, W? Number four, on which farm is the Glastonbury Festival held? Is it A, Salutation, B, Worthy, or C, Righteous? And number five, another multiple choice. 
Who wrote Cold Comfort Farm? Was it A. George Orwell, B. Mary Webb, C. Stella Gibbons? And a couple of bonus points. What is the name of the family at Cold Comfort Farm? And what is the well-known phrase from the book? The Whitney Gazette had a double-page spread this week about events in Oxfordshire marking the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1977, and one is local. Children at Stand Lake near Whitney went underground to mark the Jubilee. Nicholas Macefield and Tracy Blackman, watched by fellow pupils, buried a Jubilee box in the school grounds containing souvenirs, tapes, photographs, copies of our sister paper, the Oxford Times, and 1977-style tea bags. The idea was for future pupils to dig up the box in 25 years. A map was drawn and stored to help the diggers of 2002. The editor doesn't know if the box was dug up in 2002, but perhaps listeners do. Builder in claim for longest mobility scooter ever made. A man in West Oxfordshire thinks he has invented the world's longest mobility scooter, measuring 6 metres or 22 feet, as long as an elephant. Kevin Nix, 57, is aiming to set the new Guinness World Record for the biggest scooter. The self-employed designer and builder from Chipping Norton has already created what he calls the world's fastest shed, a motorised wooden hut on wheels. He hopes his scooter will smash the previous record, which measured 3.15 metres, 10 feet 4 inches, set in 2019. To break the Guinness World Record, the machine must be a standard mobility scooter with no wheels in the middle to support its extra length. It also has to travel 100 metres, and there is no minimum or maximum speed required. The sizeable task originally built from an eight-mile-an-hour broken mobility scooter, only took Kevin three days to build. Kevin, who also has, who has also got the Guinness World Record for the fastest wheelbarrow on the planet, travelling at a speed of 53.85 miles an hour, completed the whole project on a tight budget, which cost him £180. He said his most recent business venture, repairing mobility scooters, was what initially inspired him to look out for a new new record attempt. He tackled various problems along the way, one being how to transport the vehicle, but swiftly found a solution by splitting it into two halves. Kevin, who adores his work and hopes to continue his crazy ventures, added, A lot of what I do is to inspire other people to go and do fun things. The secret to it all should be to have should be having fun and being silly. The longest mobility scooter demonstration is taking place at Chipping Norton, Oxford. The record bid will will occur at Elvington Airfield, Yorkshire on September the 25th and 26th at the Straightliners Automotive Records event. Well, that's all we have for this week. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. Remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will telephone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we have used tonight and the little bit we had from the Chippy News. Thanks also to our technical expert Rob Oxpring and to our copiers Ian Rose and Mike Herbert who are copying the memory sticks and to our admin team who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping records of this in our register and they were Lynn Harding and Doreen Turner. And finally, thanks to our four readers, to Marnie, Byron, Barbara and Gavin. I know everyone would like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, Goodbye. goodbye.
GNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, September 24th. And drama at three o'clock on Radio 4, the second and final part of Censoring an Iranian Love Story. Sharia Mandanipal's 2009 novel about an Iranian writer trying to persuade a government censor to allow his tale of forbidden love to be published. At 5.30 on Radio 4 comes Political Thinking with Nick Robinson, in which the Today presenter interviews major political figures about their lives and careers. Radio 3 in concert at 7 on Saturday comes live from London's Royal Festival Hall as the London Philharmonic Orchestra opens its new season with a rare performance of Schoenberg's Gurlida, a tale of illicit and ill-fated love with opulent orchestration and thrilling special effects. PJ Woodhouse fans will enjoy Alexander Armstrong's celebration of the author's many humorous works. The inimitable PG Woodhouse features readings, rare interviews and archive material, along with contributions from fans, friends and family. There's a three-hour programme from 7pm on Radio 4 Extra on Saturday. Alternatively, at 7.15 on Radio 4, John Wilson is joined by the actor James Corden, who reveals how he and Ruth Jones came to make the very successful TV comedy Gavin and Stacey. We'll also hear how important Alan Bennett was in furthering Corden's career. This Cultural Life, 7.15 on Radio 4. And lastly, for Saturday, September 24th, G.F. Newman's The Corrupted continues. Joseph is desperate to get back to work after recovering from a burst ulcer and save his building development. It's on Radio 4 at 9 o'clock. Sunday, September 25th. Jay Blades, furniture restorer and presenter of TV's The Repair Shop, is Lauren Laverne's castaway on Desert Island Discs at 11.15 on Radio 4. The drama at 3 on 4 is Eleanor Rising, the first of two episodes of Sean McKenna's historical drama about the young Eleanor of Aquitaine. An ill-fated crusade to the Holy Land has ended in disaster for Eleanor and her husband, King Louis of France. On Radio 3 at 6.45, Sunday feature Yellowstone, the art of America. Alongside erupting geysers, bubbling hot springs, canyons and bison herds, the programme uncovers the pivotal role of art in winning over the public and for convincing politicians to set aside this epic American landscape for the benefit of the people. There's a choice of two programmes this evening at 7.30 on Radio 3. Drama on 3, The Pride of Parnell Street, Sebastian Barry's 2008 play detailing the ordinary and extraordinary life of the streets of Dublin. While on Radio 4, The Performance of My Life, a new series of single-voice narratives. Five stars of the late 19th and early 20th century theatre remember the performances that changed their lives. The year is 1876, and we're in the company of Ellen Terry, the leading Shakespearean actor of her age, who remembers her performance in Roy Apps, Mrs Watts Goes Missing. On to programmes, then, that are broadcast each weekday at the same time. So same radio station each day at exactly the same time. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Book of the Week at 9.45 every day on Radio 4 is The Captain's Apprentice. Caroline Davison explores the influence of folk song and the fens of the composer Ralph Vaughan Williams on the 150th anniversary of his birth. Composer of the Week, though, at 12 noon on Radio 3 is Carl Maria von Weber. Donald MacLeod explores the composer's life and work, beginning by looking at how he survived the extreme dramas of his early years, to his very first brush with death when he accidentally drank acid from a wine bottle his father had been using for engraving. All week on Radio 4 at 1.45 is the scramble for rare earths. Misha Glenny explores the world of rare earth metals and other critical raw materials, metals that are used in practically every bit of modern technology from mobile phones to wind-fine turbines and electric car batteries. Their extraction is hugely damaging to the environment and it's estimated over the next three decades humankind will take more metals and minerals from the earth than it has in the previous 70,000 years. All week, Radio 4 Extra at 2 o'clock, you can hear Jeff Rule read the Jonathan Coe's novel Middle England, a very funny narrative of events leading up to the aftermath of the Brexit referendum. 
while Book at Bedtime at 10.45 each night is on Radio 4. Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes, the story of Medusa, charting how she's unjustly cursed and transformed. Although, if you'd prefer, at 10.45 each day on Radio 3, the essay, Double Vision. Five writers and poets with links to the Commonwealth consider how their upbringings have bestowed a dual perspective on their life and work. Let's run through the rest of the radio listings then for the rest of the week, starting with Monday, September 26th. When Serena is given an unexpected diagnosis, she has to make a life-changing decision. In Room 5 at 11am on Radio 4 on Monday, Helena Merriman interviews people who, like her, were changed by a diagnosis. It's followed on Radio 4 at 11.30 by the Frost Tapes. This week, Wilford Frost introduces archive recordings of his father David in conversation with the Beatles. The final episode of the very funny Mark Steele's in town, and tonight he's in Paris performing on a boat on the River Seine. It's at 6.30 on Radio 4. While at 8 o'clock on 4, the other black door. Jack Fenwick looks at how the think tanks and pressure groups inside one building in Westminster, 55 Tufton Street, have helped influence some of the major ideas in British politics over the past decade. Tuesday, September 27th, a new series on Radio 4 at 11am, Wild Inside, in which Ben Garrett and Jess French perform post-mortems on wild animals, aiming to unravel the creature's internal complexity. In this episode, they look at the cheetah, the fastest land animal. How does it achieve such speeds? It's followed at 11.30 on Radio 4 on Tuesday by Elizabeth Taylor in Icon, she made her stage debut in front of the royal family at the age of three and first appeared on screen age nine. Ghostwriter Hilary Lifton, psychologist Dr Linda Papadopoulos and agent Nikki Everson look at the nature of child stardom. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is two households. The Cassidys and the Salises have always lived on adjoining farms in the northern Irish countryside. During the Troubles, the families were on different sides, bitter enemies. However, after years of peace... Sean's daughter and Ian's son fall in love, and that peace is about to be shattered. Radio 3 in Concert at 7.30 features the Philharmonia's opening concert of the season from the Royal Festival Hall in London. Works by Anna Klein and Masquerade, John Adams' Must the Devil Have All the Good Tunes, and Marla's Symphony No. 5 included. While File on 4 at 8 on Radio 4 investigates the brain drain of doctors from third world countries to work in the NHS. It's followed, as it's Tuesday, by In Touch with Peter White at 8.40, also on Radio 4. Wednesday, September 26th, More or Less, in which Tim Harford interrogates and debunks topical numbers and statistics, 9am on Radio 4. David Sedaris is back for another season. He delivers his witty monologue on the impact of COVID-19 on his daily life. Radio 4 at 11.30. The concluding part of the mystery thriller Someone Dangerous is at 2.15 on Radio 4. A couple find the diary of a deceased woman hidden underneath the floorboards of their new home, a book that reveals the truth behind her death. Thinking Aloud at 4 o'clock on Radio 4 looks at the social history of Britain and the way in which we've resolved everyday problems from dog fouling to nudity and double parking. 6.30 on Radio 4, a new series, Whatever Next, with Miles Jupp, a comedy sketch show in which Miles turns his hand to a new BBC One game show. He guests on a new podcast and fights Julia Davis for a role in a major new movie. Thursday, September 29th, the drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Sheer Waters, a psychological thriller by Alison White. Ruth and Wilf live on a remote wildlife reserve with their young daughter Lily. Ruth had arrived there three years earlier to escape traumatic events in the past, but unbeknown to her, someone is coming to the island, someone with the power to tear her new life apart. 2.30 on Radio 4 Extra, the spoken image. Photographer and picture editor Eamon McCabe curates pictures especially for radio, and here he features favourite images from his 50-year career. Followed at 3 on Radio 4 by Ramblings with Claire Balding. And Claire goes to Halifax to walk with a group of Muslim men who came together to support each other and become mentally and physically fitter through walking. And a new series of The Bottom Line at 8.30 on Radio 4. 
entitled Excess Profits Windfall Taxes, asks should the government be incentivising companies through other means for the good of the public and the economy. And we round off this week with Friday, September 30th, last day of another month. Relativity at 11.30am on Radio 4 is the comedy of family life by Richard Herring. Jane and Ian delve into family nostalgia as she looks after him post-operation. Pete struggles to look after the three children on his own while giving up alcohol, and Ken becomes an unlikely hero. Part two of the drama, 157 Years, is at 2.15 on Radio 4, set in an alternative world where a minority of people have a syndrome allowing them to live twice as long as everyone else. Radio 3 in concert at 7 tonight features the Amsterdam Baroque Orchestra in an all-bark programme recorded on September 18th at London's Wigmore Hall. From 10 on Classic FM, Margarita Taylor presents her smooth classics, always a relaxing way to end the week. Although, for a much stronger disposition, at 11pm tonight, Radio 4 comes part one of The Exorcist, an adaptation of William Peter Blatty's 1971 horror novel, which a priest is called to help a girl who appears to be possessed. That's it. Thank you to Angela for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNF Soundings. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello to you all, this is John from Otley Talking News, selecting and reading my choice of audio-described television programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 24th and ending Friday the 30th of September 2022. So let's start with Saturday the 24th. On BBC Two at 10am, Animal Super Parents, looking at the differing degrees of interactivity animals have with their young. This is followed at 11, still on BBC Two, with 12 Puppies and Us. They are trying to stop Lyra, the Pomsky, from chewing a toddler's toys. Then on BBC One at 11.30am, Mary Berry Cook and Share continues with Mary preparing a cricket tea. There are two episodes of Superman and Lois on BBC One starting at 4.20 this afternoon. First one is World's War Bizarre and followed at 5pm with the final episode Waiting for Superman. There's the feature film The Day After Tomorrow and it's on Channel 4 at 5.55. A climatologist warned Washington that the planet is facing a catastrophic climate change. No one believes him until it actually happens. On more 4 at 6.55, Matt Baker continues his travels with Mum and Dad. As they travel to Hexham Racecourse, where Matt saddles up for a ride on a winning horse, and Janice helps train dogs for the emergency services. The late film on Channel 4 at 10 past 9 is Mission Impossible, Fallout. Ethan Hunt is sent to Berlin to buy three stolen plutonium cores before a terrorist group can get hold of them. What could go wrong? The final episode of The Secret She Keeps is on BBC One at 9.45 tonight. Detective Cash receives a call from Laurelie's mother that could change the course of the investigation. So it's on Sunday the 25th. You could start on BBC Two at 11.30am with the great British countryside. Julia Bradbury and Hugh Dennis explore the South Downs. This afternoon's animated film Finding Dory is on BBC One at five past three. A fish with a short-term memory problem embarks on a quest to find her parents. Gino's Italy, like Mama used to make, is on ITV at 7.30pm. Gino is in the Emilia-Romagna region of Italy. This is the birthplace of Ferrari sports cars, and Gino gets behind the wheel. He also serves up mortadella burgers, using produce from the locality. Frozen Planet 2 is on BBC One at 8pm. In Frozen Peaks, David Attenborough looks at life on Mount Kenya and in the mountains of Japan. As a new crime drama on ITV at 8pm, Karen Piri is based on the novel by Val McDermid. When a 1996 murder of a barmaid in St Andrews features on a true crime podcast, Detective Karen Pirrie heads up the cold case investigation. On BBC Two at Nine is Simon Reeves' South America. 
Simon travels from Peru to Bolivia via the Andes, starting in the world-famous ruins of Machu Picchu. Have you been watching Bloodlands? Well, part two is on BBC One at 9pm. A raid on an abandoned house uncovers the hiding place of Robert Dardis, but Tom has to take drastic measures to find the gold. Now look at the programmes on at the same time each weekday. All of the following on BBC One. Northern Justice at 10am, Homes Under the Hammer at 11.15am, Bargain Hunt at 12.15, Doctors at 1.45, and there are two episodes on Friday, Escape to the Country at 3pm. Moving to ITV at 2pm is Dickinson's Real Deal every day, and on ITV 3 at 6pm each evening is Heartbeat. All the soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Now looking at programmes for Monday the 26th of September, there's a new series of The Broken Wood Mysteries on the Drama Channel at 8. In From Cradle to Grave, a recently deceased woman is found in a museum's Egyptian mummy case. Inside Man is a new series on BBC One at 9pm. The Lives of a Prisoner on Death Row, a journalist looking for a story, a vicar in a sleepy English village, and a maths tutor trapped in a cellar, are about to entangle in a deadly way. Part two's tomorrow. It's the final part of The Suspect on ITV at nine. At the moment, Joe thinks he's finally out of the woods, but the stakes suddenly become life or death. Another new series on BBC Two at 10pm is Stuck. Dan and Carla are a couple at a crossroads. And in part two, which follows at 10.15, Dan finds himself distracted by a young waitress. John and Joe Bishop, Life After Death, is on ICV at 10.45. The comedian and actor John Bishop and his hearing-impaired son Joe embark on a journey to understand more about the deaf community. They attempt to learn British Sign Language and John sets himself the task of performing a stand-up routine in British Sign Language. This routine is on ITV tomorrow at 11.15pm, but it's not audio described as tonight's programme is. Now on to Tuesday 27th of September. DIY SOS is on BBC One at 8. Kat and Chris have three children, each with different disabilities, including having to crawl up the stairs. Nick Knowles and his team step up to make their home safer and where the family can face a brighter future. Also at 8, but on BBC Two, is the hotel people. New general manager Andy is thrilled to see that Chelsea Football Club are booked into his hotel but the team's foodstuff requirements include dozens of items the hotel doesn't stock, and his right-hand man, Sam, has the problem of sorting everything before the team arrive. Also date, but on Channel 4, is the Great British Bake Off. It's bread week, and the bakers must put their own twist on a pizza, and then make a show-stopping smorgastata, a Scandinavian sandwich cake. It's part two of Inside Man on BBC One at nine, Channel 4 has a new series called Make Me Prime Minister and it's on at 9.15pm. In this contest, 12 British citizens with views across the political spectrum learn what it takes to operate in the world of politics. They are put through challenges set by Alistair Campbell and Baroness Sawida Wasi. On to Wednesday 28th and at 8 on BBC4 From Ice to Fire, The Incredible Science of Temperature. In this part... A Temperature for Life, Dr. Helen Chertsey explores the narrow band of temperature which has led to life on Earth. Also at 8, but on BBC One, is The Repair Shop. This week the team take on a unicycle, a huge copy of the Bible made in the 1880s, a water-damaged wooden table, and a colourful ring that symbolises love and was found in the ashes of a fireplace. Nadia is doing some speedy cooking in her series Nadia's Everyday Baking on BBC Two at 9.35. The baker makes a classic flapjack with a secret layer of sharp raspberry jam and smothered with triple chocolate topping. It might be worth watching it just to find out what triple chocolate is. At nine on ITV is Doc Martin. Martin rubs up against a new herbalist and Penhale, Louisa and James are intrigued by Janice's pedicure fish. Over to Channel 4 at 9 for Walter's War. Walter Tull, a black professional footballer, enlists in the army during the First World War. 
While recuperating from trench fever, he discovers he's been recommended for officer training, but he must overcome prejudice before returning to the front. Thursday 29th September, Saving Lives at Sea is on BBC Two at 8. In Eastbourne, new recruit Chris is put to the test when two people become cut off by the tide near Beachy Head. On Channel 5 at 9 tonight, Part 3 of All Creatures Great and Small. When Siegfried receives some difficult news, he becomes more irascible than usual. Channel 4 at 8 has My Grandparents' War. Musician Emily Sanday explores her grandparents' remarkable war stories, which span World War II, the Mau Mau insurgents and the fight for independence in Zambia. On BBC Two at 9pm, it's the final part of All That Glitters, Britain's Next Jewellery Star. The three finalists have two challenges as they compete for the title. First is to design and create a sapphire engagement ring that could be a bestseller, and then craft a bespoke necklace for Strictly Come Dancing head judge Shirley Ballas. Who will win? Also at nine, but on ITV, is DNA Journey. Comedians and best friends Ramesh Ranganathan and Rob Beckett embark on a road trip to learn about their families. Ramesh wants to connect with his Sri Lankan heritage and Rob hopes his family aren't all wrong-uns. Finally, it's Friday the 30th. The Great British Bake Off Extra Slice is on Channel 4 at 8. Joe Brand, Richard Osman and Matt Lucas tuck into the events of Bread Week. Ghost is on BBC One at 8.30. Mary walks Julian through her journey of self-discovery and how she finally found her voice. And Thomas realises he must go cold turkey on his Alison addiction. Professor T is on ITV at 9pm. The Professor has a macabre puzzle when a doctor and her family are all found dead on their sofa each having died by different means, but in what order and at whose hands? Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing is on BBC Two at nine. Bob and Paul fish for perch from a punt on a weir pool on the Thames near Maple Durham. Am I being unreasonable? No, not not me. This is the title of a programme which continues on BBC One at 9.30 tonight. Nicky's paranoid about what she might have said to Jen during their boozy night, but she puts on a brave face for her son Ollie's birthday. Also at 9.30 on BBC Two is Martin Compson's Scottish Fling. Martin and Phil are at Britain's most northerly racetrack, the Little Ferry Circuit in Golspey. Wycliffe is on ITV3 at 10. In Trojan Horse, the detective investigates a suspected kidnapping but the missing woman turns up dead at the wheel of a crashed car and smelling of alcohol. I hope you find something of interest in my selection this week. TNF Soundings 